I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. In this episode, we dive deep into the technical subject of governance and policy enforcement. And if that is your thing, you are going to have a great conversation where we go into the tools, techniques, and processes that you need to be aware of to do a good job doing policy and governance enforcement. If that's not your thing, you definitely need to hear this because we have a whole bunch of how to get started, what to think about, what to be aware of, how to chip away at your governance and policy challenges, including uh, developer development portals and infrastructure pipelines and DevSecOps. So we will put all of those things into a good frame for you to better understand ways to make positive inroads. This episode is packed with really good insights around policy and governance. I know you'll enjoy it. So, you know, it's interesting that Kubernetes is, while I don't see it as quite as personality driven as, you know, like OpenStack was, um, it definitely, definitely has some very sort of key participants early on that, that formed, formed a lot of a lot of community pieces that really sort of built it right every you know kelsey comes to mind but also like locky was really 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 critical in that um nova was one of them um some of the google people like docking yeah i um, yeah. i i wouldn't be where i was where i am now if, if it wasn't for, for nova really what happened uh for the most part i i was not particularly keen on Kubernetes for, for for a very long time. But it, it ended up being Nova's enthusiasm for Kubernetes security topics that oh. actually uh, pulled me in. That's actually related to the planned topic for the day, but Nova played with so much stuff. Because I didn't think of them as um, that security focused. I kept, I kept watching them build... Um, automation and configuration like trying to think rethink some of the configuration work so the the, the first time i heard of like i've or learned of nova was yeah. uh one day um when they did a talk on, on falco about um yeah about the um uh, but actually both falco and on oba so the um Mm-hmm. Noah was talking about okay how you can oh. use OPA uh, as an uh, admission controller, and conversely, how Falco can be used to uh, detect events uh, like runtime events, and that just fascinated me. That's cool. That's really neat. Yeah, forgot about the the OPA work. That really did come straight out of out of Kubernetes, the Kubernetes community working to analyze that as much as it could be broader. Yeah, like OPA always had a very generic approach to what what I was doing, but or at least like open policy in general. But the 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 agent is really what catapulted it to to fame Mm -hmm. and and. And rightly so, because it revolutionized the approach to security on, on Kubernetes. 
uh, on to the, to, to the point where it's still the like right now it like on the, running on a mission controller is an essential part of hardening a cluster. Yes. So OPA started that, and well, Nova had had their finger in in that. I, it's funny because I think of OPA not from an admission controller perspective, but from a sort of just a you know a policy enforcer. It is, yeah. Okay. Or 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 at least, I mean, o, OPA is a very domain specific implementation of policy enforcement, and and that that's what that mission control is. Um. But it uh, it was the I, I think it showcased that you can do just in time authoritative policy enforcement uh, and as a result have some very strong guarantees about the behavior of your system and and yes Kubernetes is where that's been demonstrated but. I mean, you, you you can do the same kind of policy enforcement in Docker if you wanted to, or or in other well, environments. Well, to to me, the interesting thing about this, because uh, right, we have some other tools like uh, uh, the Chef community had written something called Inspec, um, which is which is to me similar. Um, and I think the HashiCorp people have a have a. And I haven't looked at what theirs does particularly much. Having an agent do enforcement is is not right. We've had agents on machines that could do enforcement for a long time. It's always been the challenge of having a more common syntax um, for that agent from a policy perspective that I felt like was was partly partly like that that was missing, and then sort of out of the box specs, but. Is that is that make sense? I mean, I, that's how I think of OPA. Like outside of Kubernetes, it's really a you know a language that you can help define you know, your policy guidance in. Yeah, absolutely. But, um, I mean, it, I mean that that that's what Rego is, which is the like the core of OPA. Right. Yes. Um. Uh, and I mean, like you see it in, in many other fields as well, like Terraform. Um, there's several tools that um, apply uh, regal based policies to um, to Terraform. Uh, you can use ConfTest. Uh, Terraform Cloud has integration for that. Space Lift. Um, but it goes even beyond that. Like and anything yeah. that 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 you manage declaratively, you. You could write a real policy to to enforce rules on it. Why does it? Why you say declaratively? Why why do you feel like it needs to be declarative? Like, oh, sorry, you, you need to yeah. you need to match your policies against the pattern. Ah, uh, okay. So treating the policies more declaratively. Because I would, I you know, the way I'm I'm I think of it is that anytime you you build a system. Having you know a policy enforcement as part of that, you know the the build process and actually as part of the check process, um, should just be a should just be good policy. 
Okay, maybe you're right. Maybe the alternative is not the, the right word. Uh, machine readable. Okay. Ah, okay. No, and and that's why that's why I'm you, you know me I'm, I, the the it, it's I think declarative is essential for good operations practices, um, and so you know if you're building a system you want to be able to include, um, you know some some art some immutable artifacts as part of that process. Um, Iraqi, hmm. we're 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 we were. Um, doing two things simultaneously, although we were drifting into the tech side of it, we were we we were memorializing Nova a little bit, and uh, that drifted us into a, a Nova a Nova a Nova topic, <laughs> which is um, some security and compliance, which is what we we're which is what the schedule had us talking about today. Um, yeah, I think. Ah, oh boy. What I've been looking for is, you know, uh, does the it's it's RG, it's RGO, isn't it? Rigo, that's what you were. I did I did a little bit of research, and I'm not as up on 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 the OPA. It's, it's right. It's RGO, right? Um, OPA or Rigo. I've I've never heard yeah. it called RGO, but yeah. No, yeah, it's, it's, the language it's, it's Rigo. Rigo. Yeah. Yeah, no, I was dropping the E <laughs> out of my own um, mistake on it. But so that was, I mean, it's it's weird because we've been, you would think that we would have had a policy language before. Um, like as long as we've been doing Chef and Puppet, which function functionally um provided something like this, we we didn't. Um, we didn't define a, a policy language. I mean, there's been informal informal policy languages for a lot of things. It's just that they've all, already always been very domain specific, and, and Rigo just happens to have an ecosystem built around it to make it more generic. Um, like, take for example, um, reverse proxy configurations. Those are policies, and, and in fact, if you look at how you would configure uh, HA proxy, um, it it is very similar idiomatically to to how you would write Rigo. So, uh, I, I, yeah, no, I, mean, it, I I don't want to minimize the impact of of Rigo. Uh, it it's it's more that uh, Rigo is. The natural evolution of this, like, like, yeah. the, well, like it, for it, example, it, what we talk with, with machine instructions, like generalizing it and, and, and then making them ubiquitous. Rigo is doing that for policies, right? But it, it ends up just being a DSL. From that perspective, I'm, 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 I, so I pulled up Rigo because I'm, I, I wasn't, I'm not, I wasn't comfortable without some. I can put up the page that I'm looking at for it. Um, uh, so. It is definitely okay. not the easiest one to to learn from scratch. Uh, well, that's this. I mean, this this is where 
Uh, this is what makes all of this so challenging is that at some at some point you've got a DSL, right? And then you've got to have a, some metadata on on how it's built, and then you've, you're building up the rules on it. This is this is to me part of the challenge on any of these these systems is that the DSL ends up having it's it's, it's a language. There's there's no easy. Mm-hmm. So I so I one of the things I think you said that I really do believe is that there's a declarative element that says when I put the system together or a, a you know a cluster together, I I need a way to define the policies that are applied to that machine. I'm uh, I'm still yes. And, and, and Rigo, yeah. and so OPA does allow you to do that. So you, you, you can define your policies that you want to apply as custom resources, and, right. and then you just create them, and, and, and OPA goes and happily applies them. Uh, the same goes with with any other modern admission controller, including as like Caverna. Um, it is a little bit less necessary in some integrated environments. Um, like as long as the the rules are defined somewhere, um, mm-hmm. uh, it they can be referenced and, and, and loaded and, and, and matched. Um, but it, it, it yeah. certainly makes declarative <laughs> management uh, easier. Ooh. When you so what what you're thinking of, and I want to I want to check on this because this is I'm so I'm so torn because this is to me absolutely essential for good policy and good good systems is to have a way to define how this how how the systems are structured and built in a in a rules based way, um, and and then do it uh, so that you've you've made that an immutable artifacts. And so if somebody's changing it or updating it, that's going to automatically flow into the system definition and you can audit it. The, the thing that I find uh, it's just so challenging though, is that the, the DSLs in these cases are super, they're hard, right? I mean, even, even the little bit of uh Riga that I'm looking at, it would, take somebody you know conscious effort to to figure out yeah so so yeah legal in, in particular is is it, hard for someone coming from an imperative uh, world um huh. if if you're familiar with functional programming it, it might be a little bit easier because the behavior is closer to that. Um, similarly, if you come from a mat- mathematics background, I, I, I would guess. Uh, at least, I mean, it, it, my mathematics background did help me uh, with with understanding Rigo. Um, but. But yeah, it, like you're not the first person to point this out, and, and in fact, <laughs> no, one, right. one of the arguments uh, for Caverna having been released, at least by by their developers, is that 
uh, they wanted to have a language that was closer to what people were comfortable with in Kubernetes. So that they used YAML as, as their syntax, and, and again, that the Caverno rules look, look very much like YAML manifests. And that's this is always always a challenge. Rocky, I'm gonna you get some background noise. I'm gonna mute you. Just um, the I this is this has always been the struggle for me about any of this. It's like defining something that is easy to read, like in YAML, um, is falls apart really quickly when it comes to actually building realistic security specs. Um, or compliance or governance governance specs, um, and I, I think there's an interesting question in, in in like how can we make you know and the answer might be we can't, but how do we make this auditable by humans like easier to easier to review or edit? Right, Rigo policies mm. to review the Rigo policies. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, it's, maybe, maybe, maybe at some point, uh, you know, a generative AI is going to be able to take these policies. And uh, oh, that's an interesting question. Let me see. Um, so the other thing also, um, when you compare, for example, Caverno policies and, and, and Rigo policies. Mm -hmm. Caverno policies are made for Kubernetes. So which, which makes applying Kubernetes controls really easily. But it also means that they are not easily portable outside of the Kubernetes environment. On the other hand, um, Rigo, it, it really has only a very small set of primitives and functions, right? Um, which yes, may requires a little bit more overhead to to put rules together, but it makes it much more flexible as well. I, I guess what I would what I was thinking from a, a you know. What I'm always hoping for, maybe there's vendor tools to do this, is to be able to say, I need a, you know, policy X, you know, and, and you know, be able, and then policy, you know, policy X is, you know, port 443 with SSH enabled that allows internal trap, like, uh, you, you know, having a whole bunch of, of rule, you know, Rego specifics, I don't think you can get away from that. The... But what ideally you would be able to do is say is only a couple of people in your organization need to act, need to need to know that they can you can come back and say I'm just a I'm just applying you know policy X. Um, and that is X, absolutely X the case. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, once you have your policies and created, at at the most, what you like what you end up doing on on on. Uh, Okay, I don't know if you're trying to say something, but, but uh, you're, you're sounding really garbled. I'll watch him. Anyway, the most uh, thing is, uh, yeah. Once you have your 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 core set of policies created, most of the the day two work is 
just classifying them on, on making sure that the right policies are, are, are applied at the right time and not applied at the right time. Like gotcha. Policy exception, it, it's a lot of continuous work. Well, that that to me would change, you know, changes the whole perception. If you're looking at any of these policy um, systems and trying to figure out, you know, trying to parse a policy and apply it, um, you know, as as the raw policy in the DSL, then you're you're likely doing it wrong. And and maybe and this this to me is part of the takeaway. It's like if you're going to do a policy policy and governance system, what you actually need to do is define, you know, a set of rules uh, carefully and then, you know, give, you know, give them names and then, and then apply, apply the rules into your, into your system. And then if you have exceptions and it's, you know, rule six with, you know, these with, with a, you know, certain number of exceptions to it. And that, that becomes declarative, right? If you're saying, okay, I'm applying this is my rule set for this this environment. The rule set's immutable, should be. Your application of it is is a simple parameter setting from that perspective. Um, I, I guess when I look at these, it's, it's always a little overwhelming because you're you know you they start from here's a DSL you need to learn to build all these these sets and not you know here is your you know. HTTPS application rule set. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the, generally speaking, there, there's three kinds of rules that you're going to encounter. There's mm -hmm. the rules that apply to every one of your workloads that, that are 100% sensible and, and the, the, there's no reason why you should need an exception. For example, uh, every pod should have a CPU request and memory limits. Mm -hmm. that, that's all sensible. Like it, it 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 makes sense that that you that your pod should not exceed its memory usage, and that your pod should have a minimum of CPU time guaranteed to it. Even if it's like a fraction, like ten mil ten milliseconds, you still have a request. Uh, also, also nice. make a request for for the auto scaling, for example. Okay. Um, then there's other policies that are generally recommended. And, and you should strive to meet them, but you will have a few workloads that, that will need an exception. Sure. Point in case, for example, uh, a pod should not have, uh, should not, not be privileged or, or it, it should not have, um, certain permissions. Right. Um, most of the time that is sensible. But for example, if, if you run an, an, an EP, EBPF sensor in, in your, in your cluster, well, that that needs to be a privileged pod because it needs to interact with with, with the right. But, but, I, but ideally, like, if, it's, if you're using using a, a defined policy for that, then you can group those items in policy, or you can write addition. You can write scrolls or scrolls, yeah. <laughs> rules that would scrutinize how the um, which I guess are what I mean by scrolls um, mm -hmm. <laughs> that you can. Um, no, you know, you, so the exceptions part of part of doing this is that you want the exceptions to be more obvious. So if you're like, oh, this is a privileged policy, then you know it's a privileged policy in one line. You're not parsing. This is what always makes my head explain. You, if if you think you're going to parse anything to figure this out, to figure out if you're running it in a privileged way, then then 
that's not sustainable. You need to be able to say, this pol- you know, I'm running the privileged policy and it looks like this, or one of my pri- you know, pol- privileged policy delta. Um, yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And, and then the last kind of policy is the, the one that only applies to certain specific workloads. Um, oh, like, the true true exceptions. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and like the, the example that I look to use, like to use often is network policies. Okay. Right? But because, for example, like you know what the traffic pattern of your workload is, and it is very unique to that workload. Like it, it, it will allow certain endpoint connections, and it's allowed to connect to certain outgoing systems. Um, but it changes from one workload to another. Like your database is not going to have the same network pattern as your front oh, or as your back end. Sure. Um, so the, the hard part is putting those three those three kinds of policies in, into effect um, in 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 a system, and it gets even harder when 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 you apply them to a multi-tenant system. Well, it's, this is one of the things I it's it's I've always wanted automation to be able to do, um, and it's been super hard from that perspective to build dynamic enough automation, right? Or, so, would you be describing like, oh, I'm gonna, I have a standard um, profile that I'm putting together, security profile, but once I actually go execute, you know, I want to be able to say this policy, my network policy only allows machines in this cluster to talk to each other and here is the list of machines in the cluster or you know that you were only allowed to talk to the database server um you know and this is your and here and here it is here's the ip addresses or the name the namespace um like that that to me i've always wanted to do that type of of security and it's incredibly hard because it's you know you have to be constantly updating um the systems to make that work. Set. Are yeah. you going that far down the path, or am I am I jumping ahead? Um, I mean that that, that is a very very specific implementation of, of policies, and, and okay. typically the approach that I like to take with that is that, uh, and it works well in Kubernetes, not not so much in other environments, is that you you create network policies to say, okay, I will allow ingress from sources with a very specific label uh and and then your your egress traffic is deterministic based on what what you know from the application okay so this allows um essentially other workloads to register themselves with your ingress policy by giving them those giving themselves a specific label Uh, ah okay you just need to police those labels um on the other hand however let, let's say you 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 have again for example the with privileged containers or containers running as root um so right now you hmm. like if you create the, the policies declaratively you would have a policy that says don't allow these um um these specific um uh the specific behaviors yeah like like again like ha- having kernel privileges or 
or or, or whatnot. Um, if you leave that that policy as being specific like that, then you will need another layer uh, of rules that allows you to to specify, like for example, in this namespace, I will on I I will uh like this name th these policies are 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 applied to all are, are these policies are supposed to be applied to all namespaces except for ones with with a specific label and and then you you have okay. like policy group based exceptions on your on your namespace um but your your policy engine needs to support that or if your policy engine doesn't support that you will need to modify your generic policies to allow that kind of exception. Um, and, and that's where the maintenance will end up happening a lot. And um, it's where a lot mm. of people are struggling because, again, uh, as we discussed, <laughs> just discussed before, Rego is, is, for many, can be a very obtuse language. Right. Um, well, so... and, and it's it's. I don't think it's going to cover. There, there's there's two things. Maybe it'll cover some of this. There's there's two things that you in, you listed there that I think are really important from a policy perspective, which is um, controlling registration and deregistration. So there's a like a system. Like you can say you can say, oh, I need this system. You know, I need my system to comply. But one of the things that you know, is, is important from a important from a compliance perspective is to actually say, hey, I need you to make sure that your system is registered here. Or if you if you're taking it out is not read, not registered is super hard. But, um, even well, even something like yeah. making sure that you have DNS, your, your DNS entries are you're registered or your, um, eager, you know, your egress controller is registered. Um, or your inventory is. I mean, one of the things about these compliance systems is that we're thinking of them from security. There's also just a governance question to say, hey, you know, I, I want you to make sure that the, the it, you know, this is inventory in tracked from an inventory perspective or um, where I would, the other place I was going is tagged correctly. Mm -hmm. um, because a lot of, a lot of the security and compliance stuff, you know, the expectation at the, I think it's becoming a requirement for good operations is that you you put tags on your assets so that you can see if they're complying to governance and audit. Yeah. And, and that's where where the the enterprise tooling is actually moving towards. Mm -hmm. Is that uh, as opposed to having independent systems lot like your 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 end-to-end protection, your uh, vulnerability scanner, um, your your compliance engine, um, or your or your policy engine, uh, all of the, like your, your your runtime protection, and whatnot. Mm -hmm. These are all independent systems, and so far, the best practice has been to dump the logs on 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 all the events from all those systems into a central storage like, like Splunk or, or, or whatever, and, right. and then create rules for deterministic events to say like, oh, so, something happened here, I need to look into this. 
what's hmm. what what we're starting to see now is that there's um there's a trend towards um not only integration but also um taking all of these so far disjoint data points and doing uh deduplication and trend analysis and and, and finding commonalities so that uh you can um you can take you can take your insights from that and um and improve your security posture right. um and like for example the, the the um there's there's one one product which is called das DAZ, uh which which essentially does that okay. um and and again like this is all about uh security posture management remediation uh and and just making sure that what um that not only are you not missing events but you can also correlate events so that you can maximize the impact of your changes like go, going back to policy okay. for example um let's say you you've implemented your 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 policies that you think are are, are baseline uh and you focused on pod behaviors um but then your your network analysis shows that your pods are are, are talking to a lot of different sources well you, your, your policy engine is not going to tell you that but um but if you tie that in it's so if you if you tie knowledge about your policy engine together with the knowledge about your network traffic, you can then get an insight. Like for example, hey, you you, you might need to adjust your network policies because they're, they're too permissive. From uh, like an analysis of the system using using various tags, I guess I'm. So how do you how do you get from the the, the setup and the sort of the tracking into the analysis. Using correlation engines and, and, and dashboards. Uh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. And again, okay. like th 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 this is what what the these new class of no, SAS no, do. Like they like they, they ingest all of your data from, from the, the, these various inputs and then they, they tell you like, hey, this is something that you might want to look into. Gotcha. Uh, they, they, they might even give you some suggestions as like, okay, the, this is the industry standard for 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 adjusting this configuration. Um, but uh, uh, again, like it's it, it it's becoming a lot more obvious that um, like these kind of tasks need to be delegated to a machine because. The volume of information is way too much for a human to interpret. Right. I, I think what's interesting is the, the better hygiene you have on doing the pieces and parts that we were talking about where you are, you know, ex, you know, 
declaratively setting how you how you're going to build something where you're tagging it effectively or you're you're putting together a policy right so that there's a clear you know there, there is a reference that you can go back to and not just ad hocing it every time when you go back and do the analysis the analysis will find real issues <laughs> you know if you're doing it where everything is a snowflake the analysis is still going to find real issues for you which I, I think that's that's awesome, but your ability to mitigate it is going to be way lower. You're going to then be in triage mode. You know, you're you're going to have a lot more. You, nothing's going to be following your or any rules. Yeah, uh, and having it declarative also means that um, you it makes the system more auditable yeah. because you can you can pre audit your declarative configuration and. If you're happy with that, then you essentially just need to audit and make sure that your life system is not deviating from your declarative one. Right, right. Um, secondly, it, it makes disaster recovery a lot, a lot easier. <laughs> um, like all of done, done preserving your stateful data, you just like, okay, there's an incident, let, let, let's destroy the stack and recreate it. Uh, so that, that there's no chance of an APT being left there. Right. Uh, and um, for, for the audience, APT is an uh, advanced persistent threat. So, oh boy, so does the, the audit then includes, a, that's a drift, that's drift detection fundamentally to me. If you're if you're declaring something and then checking to see if it's, if you've got a match, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a fundamental drift detection loop. Yes, yeah, and and, and if you have that, then it's just a short mm -hmm. step away from automatic drift correction, right? Which in and itself can be a security enhancement, because, like for example, if your system detects a, let's say, a container being launched that is not part of your declarative configuration, well, just kill it. Like, yeah, you haven't declared it, it doesn't belong there. So it 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 shortens the time that an attacker has uh to uh, to make an effective change in your system. That makes it makes I'm I'm trying to think of, of any downside to um that you know having having a declarative system from that perspective. Because um, you're you're literally going to be reverting back to the declared system as fast as you possibly can, and then any any um, times it wouldn't. That's actually a, you you need to. That's an audit. Yeah. the The downside is that you're shifting left on a lot of the work um, mm, because okay. again, if you have your declarative policies and, and and you have a workload that doesn't fit those declarative policies. Well, it will not be allowed to run. Uh, how do you teach your developer teams to configure their workloads so that that they are compatible with those policies? They they need an environment where they can test and retest and retest. Um, they need to be able to um, specify their required exceptions to your policies if they have any. They might need to be able to specify their own policies, like for example, in, in the case of network policies. Um, so 
it it will require a lot more communication. You you cannot just throw things over the fence. So like the, the, this requires DevOps as it was intended. And in fact, DevSecOps uh, <laughs> as DevOps was intended. <laughs> I I agree with you. Um, this is this to me is where I get excited about the concept of infrastructure pipelines, because what you're what you're describing to me is 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 just extending the pipeline into the infrastructure side, yeah, make, making it more declarative. But. Yeah, and, and and it's also where internal developer portals um, and, and mm. service catalogs can be incredibly useful because you can give your developers a template that says, that says okay, like you can configure these parameters. As right. long as your workload fits within the, these parameters, you can use an all-of-the-box template. If not, because it's, because come it's talk to us and, and we'll create a new one for you. Right. Uh, which means that you know from that point already that you need to adjust your policies. It's interesting. I, 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 I like the framing for an IDP as, um, as a policy. I don't think this is that that a big stretch from how it's discussed, but a lot of times it's you know we're we're always I'm always hearing IDPs pounded on as like self service self service, but what what we're really talking about here is um, it's self service, but it's from a compliant perspective. Um, it, that, it, it it's like the the old saying like from. Uh... Uh, from Henry Ford, like you, you can have any color that you want as long as it's black. <laughs> like we, we're we're trying to give the developers a, a couple more choices than black, but it's going right. to be like black and primary colors, not ochre and taupe and uh, mm -hmm. magenta. Like okay, maybe magenta because that's a fairly <laughs> common color. Let, let's say lilac. Um, so. Uh, so give so give them sufficient leeway that they can safely choose uh, the the components that they want, uh, right. and and those components are then already pre-approved because they they fit the the policies that were already created, which means yeah. that uh, they don't need to wait on on security or or the or the the platform team to to approve those changes. Um, but well, ultimately, it is because it the 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 IDP encodes the policies that have been informal until then, or or, or formal, or, or, or at least or at least the the well the ID the to me the because uh, I because it's not always clear to me where the delineation goes with the IDP. Um, some of it is the IDP is calling into an infrastructure system that will enforce all those rules. Um, and you're what you're doing is you're you're giving somebody um a front a front end that's you know to that to that pipeline that's not um where they don't have to know everything that goes into the pipeline. A lot of it you can embed into the into the behind the scenes template when they build when they pick a template, they're like, here's you know, here's here's the magenta um item that you asked for. And when that goes to get built, it's the, the actual request is going to have a ton of specificity that you've encapsulated in the word magenta. Um, and then when it goes and gets built, it's going to have the tagging and the policies 
and the you know all, all, like there's a there's a ton of stuff that goes into the pi- building the pipeline to give somebody a resource here mm-hmm. i think we're saying we're saying the same thing i'm i'm trying to capture that i i you know we we idp the idp is a front end for a catalog but the building the item behind that catalog is a lot can you know take actually a lot of coordination and investment uh, i feel like yeah yeah, that gets, like it, that gets glossed over sometimes. Yeah, like ju- just uh, as as I was saying, like uh, at the beginning about Kubernetes and 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 and, um, uh, and, and admission control and and, and OPA, mm-hmm. it, it, it's not that any of these things are net new. But what is novel is that policy becomes a first class citizen. Ah, uh, okay. And that's important. I agree with you. If it's yeah. if if it's available out of the box, then you can you can come back and say, without you know, I'm going to start. I'm going to add policies, or I'm going to tighten policies in 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 the experience that you're already used to having. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. Right. No, and this is actually one of the interesting things about pipelines is pipelines give you the pro the, a place you know the pipeline starts if you want to start injecting things into the pipeline to, to improve your controls and governance the person who's using that pipeline probably will never notice unless they're unless they're doing something that breaks the governance yeah yeah and, and hmm. I, that, that is exactly what i do for all developers and, and, and that's essentially what 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 is one of the core concepts of, of DevSecOps is that right. like you, you, you build your, your, your initial policies, your static analysis, your, your linting in, into, into your CACD pipelines so that you catch them as early as possible or the violations as early as possible. Right. And then it, it also means that it's one less pair of eyes that or, or or one less pair of expert eyes that needs to take a look at the results, because the re- in, if you encode your policies uh, during your CI/CD pipeline and you just run your tool against it, mm-hmm. well, the tool will tell you it passed or it failed, and then the reviewer just needs to look at the at the re- the results of the pipeline and say, okay, all the jobs passed. Okay, it meets at least this threshold of guarantees. And and if it's not meeting it, then things it'll stop. Yeah. Yep. And then and then you're pushing it. And when once it stops, then you can or, you know the person who initiated the pipeline can address the issues if they if they can, and then restart the pipeline and pass the gate. Yeah. So, now it it gets yeah. a little bit trickier when you implement policy uh, or implement the capability of doing policy suppressions. Like for example, again, oh. with like with, with the static analysis, uh you, you might have your generic policies that say, okay, don't 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 allow uh, root containers. Uh great. But if we use the same pipeline to publish an artifact uh for a workload that that requires a root container, well it needs to have the ability to suppress that specific policy. And when that happens, the pipeline needs to have the ability to log an audit event and 
um, generate sufficient information so that that exception can be reviewed. It's thinking, turtles. I'm all thinking the way. through. Yeah. No, it's it's. How does somebody get? Is there any easy way to get started with this? I guess having the tools enforce it is the is the first. Um, I mean, I would say just start enforcing the basics. Like even if it's just a linter, like just get mm -hmm. into the habit of doing enforcement, uh, and then find the the things that you check for most frequently, like. Again, for example, like, okay, is I, I have already covered like Kubernetes manifest back and forth. Let, let, let's switch just to say infrastructure. Right. Um, you can have a policy that says, okay, that the resources must meet a certain na naming scheme, particularly let, let's say VMs or, or, or network policies, firewall rules, and, and so on. Yep. That is something easy to check. Uh, you can have a policy that, that says, for example, hmm. your, your ingress firewall rule uh, must not allow port 80. Right. Um, that's an easy one to enforce as well. Um, just find the things that are the, the low the low hanging fruit and, and, and deal with them. Once, once it starts getting more complicated, then then start looking into third-party tools that are able to give you insights. Like, um, and, and when it comes to security, that like typically then we're talking about CSPM, uh, like cloud security posture management and, and, and similar like to that. Um, but um, when, it, when it comes also to infrastructure management, that there's, again, that there's compliance tooling. Um, OPA has a, a very rich set of uh community generated policies that, that can be leveraged um but yeah don't be afraid to or don't don't fall into the trap of fearing that you may have missed something you will eventually figure out what what you missed uh but uh just start buying things and and, and seeing what sticks and and, and if you if you Start enforcing a policy and, and find that it's generating too much noise. Just go ahead and tweak it. Yeah. No, I, I think this is there's an interesting piece here. There, there's that that you're saying that is that I found true also, which is having rules applied even if they're not particularly limited as part of a process gives you a place where you can start making the rules more restrictive. Um, yeah. And and then you could you can start doing things like drawing warnings, applying uh, applying rules as warnings or applying rule, you know, then, then you can tighten them. Yeah. Um, and as you yeah. move, let's say, from your development to your testing, to your staging, to your production environments, you can also start, you can also be applying incrementally stricter rules. So that your developers are are not held back by having to 
be 100% compliant to your rules in the, at the beginning, but as you get closer to, to production, uh, you enforce more and more rules, particularly when it comes to uh, your declarative configuration. Like for example, it, it, it is reasonable to expect that in your test environments, your developers are going to want to tinker around with the configs to, to tweak things and, 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 and then take that back and, 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 and take the lessons learned for that, from that to, to make their, to update the configuration in this, in the staging environment declaratively. This is, I, it, it's funny because in some ways I feel like it's, it should be obvious to be building things like this. I know it takes a lot of work to, to actually to get on the, on the bandwagons. I guess one of the reasons why I underestimate the power of, uh, Kubernetes from that perspective. What? Yeah. I mean, the, 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 yes, there is some work to, to implement this. Um, yeah. Uh, or mostly just to get started. Um, the majority of the work, however, is communication. <laughs> it's always yes, yeah. yes, yes. Like you, you, you implement your policies. You, you have to have a way for the developers to give you feedback. And 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 if they tell you, like, listen, this is not working for us for for X Y Y Z reason. Um, like you, you have to have an open ear and say, like. Okay, I, I hear you. Let's like w what changes can we make to make your life easier while still staying compliant? And and, and it might be teaching them how to th do things a, a slightly different way, or adjusting the policies so that um, it's easier for them to declaratively specify. Uh, that they're exceptions or 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 anything else. Yeah. Cool. I, this is, I think, really practical, which is what my goal was <laughs> to talk through. Right, how people can get get moving on compliance. So it gives me a ton of th a ton of things to think about. Just you know, winding things into standard standard you know, workflows when we put them together. Um, and, and how, we haven't how even talked about vulnerability yeah. management. No, no, and we'll, I'll, I'll put that in the calendar for, I'll, I'll carve it out. Although I will, I will tell you, we have um, a long break before we get together again. Um, between holidays and conference schedule Thursdays, I'm actually still able to do um, but Wednesdays has been really problematic. Um, well, um, uh, can I do that? No, I can't. Um, ah, yeah, I think I'm actually like, I'm looking at December all the way, even all the way through from now until, um, December 19th and there's December 26th. We're not going to meet. Um, the holidays. I, yeah, this is, this unexpectedly is the last meeting, um, of the year. Wow. Um, Thursdays are fine. 
interestingly enough. I'm, I'm, we're, we'll keep going on Thursdays. But starting next year, um, I have a list of, um, boy, a list of um, operations topics to do deep dives on. And I'll, I'm going to be pulling in rack end engineers to talk through, um, uh, you know, like very, I want to, I will come back to the compliance piece um, or the, the, the audit and remediation piece. But what I want to do is I want to run a session of deep dives into uh, sort of concrete operational topics but from a how to automate bent. So like sort of an update, even in, and it'll be things like how does DHCP work, but not from a static DHCP perspective, but from, all right, you're building DHCP is a, is a data center, dynamic data center service. What do we need to know? Um, uh, Even things like building CI command lines. These are things that we, we find uh, our customers are struggling with. Not because they don't have some of the basic skills, but the 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 intermediate skills of like, oh, I didn't realize I could do this in a way that facilitates automation and system integration. So I want to take these sort of core data center skills, and then um, you know we'll have discussions about how they work um, from an automation perspective. And I, I have an outline going. Um, and we'll keep we'll keep building it out. I have thirteen topics right now. Um, so I added I added one about the governance pieces that we were talking about that I think could be discussed in concrete terms. So that'll be that'll be what I start in January. But until then, hope hope to see you all on the Thursday calls. But the end of the year is is nigh. <laughs> Uh, yeah uh thursdays are still hard <laughs> i i know rocky i know i'm sorry but we'll we'll be back we'll, we'll get back to it in january and yep. um deep dive on the tech so so then happy thanksgiving and happy, happy holidays. holidays indeed all right everybody happy holidays cheers happy holidays thank you happy holidays <laughs>
Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.